You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. And a very warm welcome back to Solidarity Breakfast. A left response to the major developments in capitalism. What they trade in is not wheat. They trade in famine. A little dose of revolutionary optimism. I think it's really important to sort of express solidarity globally. It really is a deal by corporations for corporations. The union forever defending our rights down with the black leg. If you think the ABC's left wing, don't listen to this program. Solidarity Breakfast, 7.30 to 9am Saturdays, 3CR, 8.55am. Streaming and 3CR Digital, podcast or audio on demand. And of course, the website, solidaritybreakfast.org.au. Solidarity forever! Good morning, everybody. This is Annie for Solidarity Breakfast. And it is a fine morning out there this beautiful Saturday morning. And uh, today we're going to uh, appreciate the environment by uh, looking at IMAC. Uh, We're going to get somebody in. Maddox is going to come in and have a chat with us about what's been happening in Sydney. There was uh, a... alternative counter-conference at uh, IMAC... Uh, to IMAC in Sydney, running from November the 2nd to November the 4th. And uh, leading up to that was a an alarming preemptive and intimidatory police operation, which was uh, aimed at uh, undermining uh, activists' uh, in their efforts to actually converge on Sydney. And uh, it was led by the New South Wales Police and uh, it uh, brought in the uh, assistance of Victorian Police, uh, ACT Police, Queensland Police. Uh, it uh, was quite an interesting approach to... Uh, uh, Information gathering as well as intimidating uh, people. Uh, they, they. Anyway, I uh, spoke to Anthony Kelly about this. We alerted you to this last week, but this time I went out and I spoke to Anthony Kelly. He's from Mel's, which is Melbourne Activist Legal Service, and uh, to find out more about this particular police approach to undermining uh, democratic right to actually defend the environment. Uh, Very interesting stuff. As... uh, uh, Maddox will tell us later on about more about the experience of uh, focusing on uh, IMAC, where uh, over 800 companies were uh, gathered together uh, to uh, in Darling Harbour out, uh, to discuss the the future methods of uh, extracting more and more from uh, the environment. Uh, in a way that is actually uh, causing uh, major uh, problems for the safety of the planet as well as the uh, organisms within it. Anyway, uh, apparently they were surrounded by 600 police, which is a fascinating amount of resources. Uh, obviously the state and is in lockstep with big business. So there you go. We'll have a chat with uh, Maddox about that later in the program. 
we're also going to hear from Lisa Milner about uh, a new book about uh, radical theatre, which is the new theatre in Australia. Uh, it's going; they're going to launch the book at uh, Trades Hall on the ninth of uh, November, six thirty p.m. And it's got there's a whole program of, of uh, things going on on that night. It's had several launches in Sydney and it's also going to, after that, it's going to uh, have a launch in, um, where, where is this? Here we go. It's got an, it's going to have another launch at uh, Coffs Harbour. So these are all these different places where uh, it's quite clear that uh, New Theatre was right across Australia and uh, it had a big influence, started in the 1930s. Uh, and uh, we're going to find out more about uh, what's in the book, uh, which is being published by Interventions, that fantastic printing pl- uh, uh, publisher out of uh, Western Australia. Uh, if you don't know about Interventions, then go online and have a check because uh, they are a stellar piece of uh, work in the left progressive space. But anyway, we're going to talk to Lisa Milner about that. And uh, we're also going to, before we start off with any of that, of course, we're going to have This Is The Week That Was. That's Kevin. He does a a fantastic uh, uh, satirical look at the week. It was uh, a massive piece this week. And um, before we do, we're going to uh, cover a piece that uh, was given to us by Vivian from uh, the uh, Climate... Um, action show uh, and it's about uh, an event that's happening tomorrow uh, and it's been auspiced by the Darabin uh, Climate Action Network and it's all focused on electric vehicles. But before we do that, let's hear about something very important. Hi, my name is Bunjalini, also known as Robbie Thorpe. I want to invite you to the 2022 Beyond the Bars CD launch on Thursday the 10th of November at Arnie Alma Thorpe's Gathering Place, Dadi Manwaro, 546 to 550 High Street, Preston. There will be a panel discussion on First Nations incarceration and justice, some live music with Amos Roach and free copies of this year's Beyond the Bars CD. Thursday, the 10th of November, Arnie Alma Thorpe's Gathering Place, Dadi Manmaru, 6 to 8pm. For more information, head to our website, 3cr.org.au backslash beyond the bars. Yeah, you're with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast. And as I said, we got a, a call up from uh, Vivian Langford from the Climate Action Show, which is on at 5.30 on a Monday. Fantastic program. Uh, but she did a fantastic piece uh, with uh, Kay and Michael, who were formerly from the Science and Tech Show uh, that was um, all about environment. Uh, they've been working diligently through the uh, Darabin 
uh, Climate Action Network to try and raise awareness of how people can actually get second-hand electric cars. <clears throat> because as we know, the use of cars is one of the most um, uh, uh, profligate user of a fossil fuel and emanators of uh, toxic uh, waste in our um, lives at the moment. So, of course, there's this big scurry towards uh, electric vehicles. But uh, a lot of things about electric vehicles are um, uh, problematic uh, ex- for uh, a majority of people because of the cost. But uh, let's hear what uh, they all had to say because there's an event tomorrow that you might like to put in your diary. I am thrilled to introduce Kay and Michael, who used to be on 3CR on the Science and Tech Show every Friday. Kay and Michael would like to tell you about a way to buy a second-hand electric vehicle. It's a huge initiative from Darabin Climate Action Now, and they are asking you to register at Darabin Climate Action Now for the um, event on Sunday, 6th of November. You can see a great display of electric vehicles. You can test drive them. You can learn about them. And you can even put your name down to buy one. It's at Bandura Secondary College this Sunday, November the 6th at 10 a.m. Hello, I'm Michael Steindl. Today we're talking about electric vehicles and more specifically about buying them and buying them more cheaply. And to do that, we've caught up with Kay Winningle, who's actually... Um, traveling around the Tarkine at the moment. And uh, so we're lucky to catch her for this interview. Kay is the project manager and organizer for the Darabin and Northern Melbourne electric vehicle bulk buy. And that's the specific example we're going to talk about with Kay today, but um, it, it applies much more widely than that. Kay, tell us about the Darabin and Northern Melbourne EV bulk buy event. Hi, Mike. Thanks for your time. Uh, yeah, so I'm really privileged to be a part of this um, bulk buy event that's been organised by DCAM, the Darabin Climate Action Now group. They've partnered with the Good Car Company from Tasmania, or they're based in Tasmania but are Australia-wide, to uh, organise a electric vehicle bulk buy event for the Darabin and Northern Melbourne area. This means that the residents of the northern suburb, suburbs of Melbourne can play a part in the movement to decarbonise transport by taking public transport, active transport and choosing an electric vehicle. This bulk buy program will help people do that more affordably, much more affordably, in fact. Why would anyone want to buy an electric car? (laughs) Well, that's a very funny um, question. (laughs) I'd actually ask the question, why wouldn't they buy an electric car? But I'm a bit biased, I've been... I've had an electric car for seven years. But when you consider it, an electric vehicle um, is so much cheaper. It's pollution-free. It's cheaper to run over the long term, even though it may be considered to be more expensive initially. It's just so exciting to to, um, be in an electric car. The performance is so much better. And it's better for the whole community. So... What's not to like about that? So why a bulk buy then, Kay? Well, affordable and electric car are words we haven't been able to put together before. 
here, we're excited to and proud to be able to deliver a range of affordable electric vehicles to kickstart the decarbonisation of transport in North Melbourne. And when you look at the cars that are that are on offer from the good car company, they start off just over, I think, about $20,000, which is so much cheaper than we've been led to believe an electric car is. That's why when you do a bulk buy, you can actually make the car more affordable by buying in bulk. So just to make sure I've got this right, this good car company is actually buying multiple cars and and importing them and passing on the savings. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. And what's more, they're actually able to access cars that aren't really electric cars that aren't even available in Australia otherwise, such as vans. And there's a lot of interest in vans at the moment because the tradies are looking for those sort of vehicles. Uh, you see my tune now. I need an electric van for my handyman work. Hey, how will this bulk buy work? Okay, so the bulk buy is open now, and so you can register for the event. You can go to www.goodcard.co forward slash Darabin and press on the register button. Or you can just Google Good Car Company and look for the bulk buys and you'll see the Darabin and Northern Melbourne bulk buy option. So just on that topic, you're, t- you're talking specifically about Darabin and Northern Melbourne, but I know this program goes much wider than that. Is it? Uh, are they offering these bulk buys anywhere else other than just North Melbourne? Yes, they are. In fact, there's another bulk buy that's running at the moment in Randwick, Sydney, and there have been others around the country um, in Byron Bay, Geelong, and there'll be more coming up in the future because it's becoming very, very popular, this bulk buy. So uh, continuing with what's going to happen with this particular bulk buy, tell us more about that, How what people will be able to do there, see there, how it will work. Okay, so once you register, you get information about what's going to happen from there on. And the first thing is the launch of the bulk buy event, which is on November the 6th at Bundura Secondary College. And it goes from 10 o'clock until 2 o'clock. And that is actually the show and shine event where anybody in the community who's interested in learning more about electric cars and in taking the next step forward to their transition to an electric car can come along and ask questions of people There'll be ambassadors there with their electric cars and they'll be, you'll be able to talk to them and question them about electric cars. You'll be able to get test drives. There'll be a presentation and information from the good car company and also the good car company team will be there to talk to and, and chat with them about the benefits of participating in an electric vehicle bulk buy and also the savings that it generates. Along with that, there's going to be great coffee, snacks, sausage sizzle and live music. So it'll be a, a really fun event. Hello, my name is Ana Maria Tiju. I'm a musician, composer from Chile. And I would like to say thank you to this uh, space of community radio and, and to give the opportunity like, to have different news and music and to put another perspective in this world that is so crazy in another step of violence. So I think it's so important to make another vision about what is happening so thank you and say thank you particularly to the Mujeres Latinoamericanas and this show thank you 
and uh, you're with Annie on 3CR's Saturday Breakfast and we were just hearing about an event that's going on tomorrow at Bandura High School. Uh, it's Sunday, uh, 10 to 2. It's an expo about... Uh, uh, bulk by electric cars. If you've ever fancied the notion of being helping the decarbonisation of transport, this is the event for you. Fascinating stuff. Uh, it's all about making it affordable uh, for people and uh, ordinary people uh, taking the initiative uh, quite clearly. And thank you very much to Kay and Michael, formerly from the Science and Tech Show, uh, revolving around uh, climate action, and Vivian Langford from the Climate Action Show that uh, is existent, Community Climate Action Show, on Monday on 3CR at 5.30. Fantastic program. Always worth a listen. Uh, now we're going to move on to uh, look at uh, the uh, notion of police intimidation uh, using preemptive and uh, pol- police operations to undermine the capacity of people to uh, express their concerns around uh, the uh, attacks on nature uh, by extractivist economies. And uh, this has particularly come to the fore uh, recently because of the uh, IMAC conference in uh, Sydney. Uh, They moved it from Melbourne because uh, (laughs) if you've uh, been aware of what's been going on uh, with this uh, particular event where a whole conglomerate of uh, extractivist uh, companies like BHP, Shell and others uh, gathered together to uh, look at the prospects, their future prospects, uh, rather than the planet's prospects, uh, with uh, activists outside being mozzed by police. But uh, this was no exception in Sydney between uh, the 2nd and the 4th of November. Uh, But uh, it it has further ramifications, of course, because it's a type of policing which uh, conflates uh, activism with terrorism, in fact. Anyway, I spoke to um, Anthony Kelly from Mel's uh, Melbourne Activist Legal Service about the uh, the trend. Mel's Melbourne Activist Legal Service has uh, made us aware of uh, the Strike Force Guard Three. Um, can you explain to my listeners what this is about? Sure, happy to. Um, yeah, we got phone calls on um, Wednesday of uh, from activists in Victoria and also in New South Wales that were being visited uh, in a very disturbing fashion uh, by um, police, the local neighbourhood police, uh, who asked them a whole series of uh, questions around their activities and their intentions um, on uh, leading up to the IMARC, uh, the International Mining and Resources Conference that's uh, happening in Sydney uh, from the 2nd to the 4th of November uh, this year. And um, so, yeah, activists were a bit puzzled um, why this was happening. Some had been handed a uh, a nondescript uh, form, a protest permission form that's from New South Wales called the Form 1 that had, had no jurisdictional information or anything on it. And given also incorrect information that, the um, protest without this form submitted was unlawful, which uh, isn't true. And um, so, yeah, so we put out a statement on Friday. We instantly started talking to our colleagues and counterparts in New South Wales and Queensland who also um, had received similar phone calls, and we realised that there was a quite an alarming 
preemptive cross-border operation underway. And the name of this is Strike Force Guard 3. It continues on from the sort of uh, repressive policing that uh, we saw in June this year in Sydney surrounding the actions of Blockade Australia, uh, the climate uh, network. It's an interesting gambit, isn't it? Because it's not the federal police. This is coming from um, the New South Wales police and it implies that uh, uh, citizens uh, are uh, acting illegally when they're organising to advocate for the climate. Yeah, yeah. Any sort of preemptive policing uh, for for a crime that has not yet been committed or alleged crime that hasn't been committed yet is dangerous per se. Um, these sort of visits are also, we sh- should go back for some wider context, is that targeted predominantly Muslim communities in the, in the 2000s um, were experiencing huge numbers of uh, unannounced visits from ASIO and Australian Federal Police and local police um, as part of the counter-terror operations. Um, throughout those decades. And so um, uh, at the time, community legal centres put out uh, legal information for communities about what to do if the police arrived in your, at your home. And um, we took a similar approach um, with this. We instantly put out some um, very simple and accessible legal information about um, that you don't need to answer questions, you don't need to return police phone calls, you don't need to just have a friendly chat with police. Uh, that it's all intelligence gathering. And uh, you don't need to feel intimidated by police because it's obviously one of the key functions of this uh, operation is to um, project the message that you shouldn't go to this protest, that you should be intimidated, that it's potentially unlawful and that uh, we're watching you. So that level of intimidation is something that is the, the key concern with this sort of operation. It's interesting in the context of emanating from New South Wales, but obviously getting the uh, um, support or backup of uh, Victorian Queensland ACT police uh, in a quasi-nationwide approach. Uh, How does that uh, stack up, for example, in Victoria in relation to our Bill of Rights? Well, that's a really good question. It's um, We've seen cross-border anti-protest operations before, and we know there's the sharing of information across borders, but it was really good to see it in operation um, happening you know, concurrently. So it was really clear evidence that this was a New South Wales police-driven operation who were gearing up for you know, their preemptive response to the IMARC um, potential protests. Uh, and and uh, using ACT police, Queensland police and Victoria police as part of their operation. So it was yeah, it was a really um, clear example of that cross-border cooperation. But also um, the charter rights in both ACT, in ACT and Queensland and Victoria, of course, are, very, are, um, are unique. New South Wales doesn't have a human rights charter. And it's not to say that the policing is necessarily um, substantially different but Victoria Police and Queensland Police and ACT Police are obligated to consider the Charter rights, which includes protections around freedom of assembly and political expression. So one of the questions that we've alerted MPs and agencies and accountability bodies is that we want to know if and to what extent Victoria Police considered the Charter rights when they decided to cooperate with this New South Wales operation. 
you know, I had a, a sort of a fantasy moment when I was thinking about this particular thing. Uh, if you looked at the uh, operatives at IMARC as uh, climate criminals, that it could be the other way around, that the police, which the normalisation of using police as political arm of government could actually be investigating them rather than the so-called activists. Well, yeah, look, it's a, it's a very important perspective is that policing only um, targets a very narrow range of actual criminality in society and that a huge array of financial white-collar um, crimes against the environment, crimes against women, crimes against um, society or, or um, collective rights are, are, are just blatantly ignored uh, within the criminal justice system and, and the overwhelming weight of it draws upon um, the low socioeconomic um, areas of society. So yeah, that's that's a really important consideration with any of this sort of policing. We the the policing verges really close to like special branch political policing, the targeted movements right the seventies and eighties as well. Uh, it's on the 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 police uh, identify criminal or potential criminality uh, in a within a protest movement and therefore police it in a way that undermines um, the basic uh, rights and protections that we enjoy, though that we need, we should be uh, enjoying in Australia. So we do have a right to assemble and express ourselves politically. Whether or not, and those rights remain, whether or not there's any sort of um, criminality uh, or unlawful or potentially unlawful behaviour within that assembly. Uh, it also uh, ignores the fact that any sort of assembly or, pro or protest is disruptive by its very nature. Um, and that uh, police are very selective when they choose when that disruption is uh, um, cracked down upon using police violence or whether it's simply tolerated. So, yeah, there's huge problems with the way police are both perceiving this and their behaviour in, um, in actually policing it. So we're seeing this as part of a, uh, an overarching pattern or an approach of policing throughout Australia uh, that includes... Uh, a quite a vast array of tactics and techniques, and that um, which include things like intelli intelligence gathering using high-tech and sophisticated uh, methods to surveil and gather intelligence on groups and maintain and maintain uh, records on groups and individuals, as well as preemptively um, targeting groups and trying to undermine their ability to mobilise large numbers. Um, the police's operational imperative is to maintain power and control over over protest movements. Once, if they lose that um, control over groups, that's when they really get uh, worried and scared. So, this sort of policing, and we call it strategic incapacitation, or policing scholars often call it that, um, describes approaches that are really explicitly designed to undermine the ability of of social movements to grow. And, um, and build numbers. So that's what we're seeing with these sort of preemptive uh, raids, the preemptive surveillance and these sort of inclimentary uh, house visits. Uh, they're designed really to stop people protesting. When uh, there was uh, that particular action not so long ago in Sydney, talking uh, to Mark Davis about the defence of those uh, activists, I mean, even the term activists, these are people, are defenders, climate defenders, um, he was talking about uh, rule books that were created by legislation while common law, natural justice is being overlooked, in fact. It, this is very political, isn't it? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We're seeing with with this whole strategic incapacitation approach, we're seeing collusion between um, uh, government, um, industry, and police. There is an alignment of uh, purposes and uh, objectives. So we're seeing in the parliamentary sphere, we're seeing um, uh, legislation that clamps down on disruptive protests, which uh, explicitly supports particular industries and um, uh, and areas and an alignment with the uh, heavily resourced um, police forces in each state, which um, also provide them with substantial powers to easily um, manage or more easily manage and disrupt um, protest movements. So this strong alignment, it's not necessarily a uh, conspiracy or, or a direct, uh, but there is a correlation between what's happening, the needs of industry and parliament and policing just aligning. Um, and we're seeing this in various states, in Victoria, of course, with the forest, the new forest laws, uh, in Tasmania and Queensland and also in New South Wales. Um, they provide police with extraordinary powers to um, provide to clamp down using bail as a form of crowd control outside the purposes of the Bail Act and also um, uh, the deterrence of substantial fines. And, and it's interesting because you, you talk about it as preemptive, intimidative policing and also uh, pointing out the police who are coming to people's homes like this are armed and further, that you don't actually have to speak to them at all. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so it's alarming at so many levels that when police arrive at your door, uh, young children are answering the door, um, housemates, family members um, are being are feeling intimidated and threatened by these visits. They are armed. In some cases, counter-terror units have um, been the ones door knocking. Um, again, that's a, just another example of this inexorable um, use of counter-terror resources against domestic social movements. So that's another global trend that was predicted decades ago. Um, and um, but also, it's just it's generally been local police units, uh, often slightly oblivious as to why they're there. They're just obviously providing some sort of warning from New South Wales Police. Um, but it's non it's nonsensical as a community safety or policing measure by itself, aside from um, the very clear objective of uh, intimidation and, um, and deterring people from attending the protests. And yeah, basically, and the, and the fundamental thing is, yes, you are under no obligation whatsoever to talk with police under any circumstances. Um, the, and people on bail conditions might have an obligation to identify and confirm their name. But aside from that, there is no obligation to answer or respond to any of these questions. Um, police will be looking at trying to find any sort of information they can on the extent and scale of any, any planned protests at IMARC. And all of that will go into a central um, uh, intelligence unit who will be planning on that, on that basis. So even friendly chats with police and, uh, and under these sort of operations can be highly dangerous. Mel's has got uh, uh, recommendations that you've made, haven't you? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so uh, we're calling on um, police to immediately cease these sort of operations uh, and to also release the criteria that um, on their person of interest list because that's another thing. These it's very secret and opaque uh, why they're visiting particular people. Some people have got uh, have been involved in protest activity. Other people haven't. 
uh, haven't and haven't received any prior charges and those sorts of things. So there's obviously some sort of um, uh, guess, list that's been developed. Yeah, that's yeah been developed who's on the list? Police. Who's, who's on, on it? the list and why? why? Um, that's always deeply concerning, and there's also because um, it feeds into police biases and and misperceptions and misassumptions about um, about um, social movements generally. The other um, uh, main call is that Parliament needs to take responsibility for this. Uh, it needs to clamp down and rein in uh, any sort of uh, thing that smells like political policing. Um, it's the par- parliamentarian's responsibility to make sure that, that citizens aren't policed in this particular way. Uh, it's really important that parliamentarians take responsibility. Uh, so we're calling on human rights agencies and bodies to, in- to investigate and to look at this really closely, but MPs to really take responsibility for clamping down on it. Now, this is targeting a particular event that's uh, uh, the IMAC uh, demonstration. September, uh, Sydney, uh, November 2nd to 4th, but this is actually creating a precedent, isn't it? So these patterns of policing, preemptive policing, uh, have occurred previously, as there's been preemptive raids on organising hubs and so forth in decades past. But, um, yeah, we really need to make sure that it doesn't become the norm. We have to counter the normalisation of this sort of um, anti-protest policing. And this conflation of uh, terrorism with uh, demonstrating. That's right, yeah. Police generally have this view that conflates um, democratic grassroots social movements, people who have views that oppose um, government policies, uh, and uh, political violence and terrorism. So they often see this trajectory, this um, synchronicity or conflation. That's highly dangerous. It's, a, it's a fundamental to repress, um, repressive regimes throughout the, throughout the world, and it's um, fundamentally anti-democratic. So it's really, it's really important that, um, that, again, this is something that's um, core to um, policing philosophy throughout the, um, throughout the world and needs to be challenged. And also, Mel's has got some resources for people who may or may not uh, be on the list. Well, yeah. So simply, there's a social media tile going around, really, that that just reiterates um, you're under no obligation to return a police phone call, to have a chat, to answer questions. So, um, so it's worthwhile sharing that around and um, being really clear on that. Um, practicing in your own mind what you might do if police knock on your door. Um, bear in mind, this is very targeted at the moment. It's it's largely it's it's been 27 visits around uh, Australia that we know of so far. Um, so it's not a huge number. So we're not expecting you know this to continue beyond uh, much more. But we don't want to normalise it. Those it shouldn't be those 27 people. Uh, and it shouldn't be anyone being visited by police in the middle of the night or day. But also there is that people are compiling um, accounts of police, of this police operation for national ag- advocacy, and it's important to actually document this. That's right, yeah. So, so movements themselves have been tracking this stuff really well um, over the last week, um, and um, people haven't been standing for it. So this sort of stuff thrives in secrecy. Um, taking detailed notes, videoing the interaction, and then um, reporting it to local you know, human rights groups or activist hubs is really useful. It, it's an it's a act of solidarity in itself, um, and it means that it's not just happening to you in isolation. It's, it's a 
it's a um, collective experience, and that means it provides evidence and fuel then for legal, for law firms, for legal centres, for human rights advocacy groups to get a picture of what's going on and um, take a whole range of responses. So there are legal options potentially available. Uh, they're being explored at the moment. There's certainly um, concerns under um, both state and international uh, human rights uh, protections. And um, yeah, all of the, all of taking notes and um, reporting these sort of things is really important. Thanks for talking to me, Anthony. Pleasure. This is Ari Lecker. You're here on 3CR 855 AM Community Radio. Also streaming on 3cr.org.au. Free West Papua, Papua Merdeka gets up one talks. Australia's most iconic bike riding holiday, the Great Vic Bike Ride, is on from Saturday 26th of November to Sunday 4th of December. This rolling bike festival will have you pedalling along the beautiful Great Ocean Road, through the Otways and Golden Plains. Tickets include all meals, a camping spot, luggage transfers, daily entertainment and more. Sign up at www.greatvic.com.au Use promo code 3CR to get 10% off. Great Vic Bike Ride, a 3CR supporter. You're with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast on 3CR, your community radio station, and we were just listening to a chat I had with Anthony uh, from Mel's, um, Anthony Kelly from Mel's, about uh, the... uh, uh, intimidatory sort of preemptive uh, policing operation uh, strike force guard three that was uh, focusing on activists uh, intending to go to uh, IMAC protests in Sydney, but it is a uh, ongoing uh, type of policing that uh, people need to be aware of. And we're going to move now to uh, Lisa Milner, who has written a book about. Oh, well, actually edited a book about um, the new theatre and it's being launched. So this is a very important thing. G'day, Lisa. How are you? Um, I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, well, it seems to me that this is a good way to uh, go, you know, having a, a discussion about preemptive and uh, intimidatory police actions uh, and then talking about the new theatre. It's sort of a perfect uh, segue because the the new theatre wouldn't have uh, had uh, be, um, I mean, looking at the book and the history of the new theatre, which is radical theatre in Australia, uh ASIO had them in their uh, sites. And in fact, uh, many of the people who wrote histories about New Theatre were able to use that file as a very useful historical resource. Yes, that's right. The New Theatre um, has been going in Australia since 1932 and for almost all of its history, the various branches and its members and indeed some of the audience members have been uh, followed by ASIO and um, very much under the spotlight, as it were. Um, for, there's been a lot of band um, plays that have been um, performed at the 
New Theatre, especially in the Melbourne and Sydney branches, um, that ASIO was trying to um, was trying to um, close down. But um, in most of the circumstances, they actually just kept on performing despite the legal bans. Yeah, which is fascinating because, um, like you said, uh, the it's got a very early start, and um, in fact, I found the early history part of this book because it's a what you've done. You're an editor, and you've brought together. Uh, well, you know, you tell them, you tell them what you did. Well, um, I've been studying the new theatre for a long time now, um, and have had the idea of bringing together authors who other authors who had done research on various branches and aspects of the new theatre, as well as my own work and commissioning some new works for this book. So it's um, it's a big book. It's, there's 19 chapters of various parts of the new theatre. We take a tour through all the branches, which were in every capital city. Um, Sydney's the only one going now, but the Melbourne one um, was very popular and was running until the 1970s. So it's a, it's a great collection of yarns. Um, there's some fantastic stories about how this radical theatre came from an international working-class theatre movement to bring radical and working-class theatre to many, many Australians. Well, it's um, on a practical level, it was really interesting to read about uh, the... Well, one, the... Uh, well, let's start with the Communist Party's connection to new theatre. That was an important element, wasn't it? It was, and that's how it really started. In 1932, a Communist Party member, Jean Devaney, had travelled to um, Germany and Eastern Europe and Russia and came back thrilled with the theatre that she'd seen there and started the Workers' Arts Club in Sydney. It changed its name to the New Theatre League later on, but that's really what started it off. And all through its life, there were many members and fellow travellers of the Communist Party of Australia who were um, members of the New Theatre and also in its audiences. So, yes, it's always had that very close connection. But an even closer connection has been the labour movement in Australia. Um, from the start, the New Theatre saw itself really as part of the Labor movement than as part of the Communist Party. And support came from left-wing unions like the Wolfies, the Siemens, the Miners, the BWIU, and uh, it was really seeing itself as part of the Labor movement. Which was all about bringing the voice of uh, working people and ordinary people onto the stage, right? Yes, that's right. And it's got it's always had a very strong tradition of performing socially and politically relevant work. And yeah. not just about Australian issues, but international issues. Yeah, so it had a broader view. And the what I was leading to was that um, there was this struggle, uh, which is an, uh, a national struggle, I'd say, uh, against an anti-intellectual sort of approach mindset and what the people who were part of the theatrical groups were trying to do. Yes, they 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 uh, encouraged Australian writers, particularly Australian women writers, to submit plays. And from that, we've got some incredible legacies of um, authors like um, Mona Brand and Oriel Gray, who've gone on to be, you know, well-known Australian authors of plays. They also brought in very, very radical plays from overseas, particularly from England, Europe and America, where a new theatre tradition was also going on. 
So they were very, very explicit about the type of plays that they performed. And and the other thing that I found fascinating was the uh, t- uh, on a practical level the technical, uh, exciting sort of. Uh, and because the 30s was known for this, like there's this experimental element, the use of uh, uh, use of um, film, sound, lights, that sort of stuff. There was like there was this battle between using that kind of stuff, which was kind of thought to be bourgeois and uh, social realism. So this was really a full on sort of uh, um, battleground, wasn't it? Well, yes, and there were some great elements that the new theatre branches took from traditional theatre, but they also used a lot of um, German expressionism. Um, they they were very importantly part of the living newspaper um, story, which That's is That's a fantastic... You know, the living newspaper thing was just incredible. Yeah, they took a story from last night's um, world events or Australian events and they they wrote very, very quickly a play about it and performed it. Um, and it was all about giving um, access um, to theatre with people who, to people who'd never normally gone to a theatre before. One of the most amazing things was their use of um, very, very interesting mobile um, performances. They put performances out on trucks, they went to street corners, they took their plays to factories, to walls, to parks, even to beaches. Um, and they took the plays to the people, and that was very important for them. Yeah, but this is about... Um, I know that there was... Uh, it seemed to be a way of uh, uh, bringing progressive politics to uh, the working class, as it were, or the, and ordinary people. But it's also about identity, isn't it? And the notion that... Um, uh, and I, uh, that you are allowed to have, a, you're not just a drone, you can have an intellectual life. Absolutely. And it was often castigated for that sort of thing. But, you know, it, it persisted. And although um, only the Sydney New Theatre is still in existence, all the other theatres gave so much to the people in their cities. Um, as an example, one of the most amazing um, incidents of bringing theatre to the people was in 1952 when the Sydney New Theatre cast of a play they were performing took it out to a mine and performed 1,500 feet underground during Ooh. a stay-in strike by, wow. by Miners' Federation members. Oh, that's amazing. Um, the other thing that's really amazing, of course, is that, I mean, it, it probably is a bit hard for people to realise just how stagnant and how oppressive Australian and uh, Australian uh, national life was while these people were uh, building this fire because they were um, and they were considered to be uh, heretics effectively. Um, but out of this uh, work that uh, the New Theatre did around uh, the different states, uh, a lot of really interesting people were involved, weren't they? Oh, yes, and, and one of them we've actually just lost, Uncle Jack Charles, who had uh, his funeral in Melbourne um, just a week or two ago. He started his theatrical 
light with the new theatre. Um, in 1970, the amazing Dot Thompson, who was the leader of the Melbourne New Theatre, um, went to the boarding house where Uncle Jack and some other uh, First Nations men were living and asked if they were interested in performing uh, at a new theatre play. And his career started from that. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. That's amazing, isn't it? So it was a- about going out there and actually telling real stories to real people and getting real actors. That's right. And, you know, it's it's been the, um, it's been the, the training house of many, many actors and also directors, producers, people um, who are interested in stage production um, have gone on to many other things. And it's going to be, uh, you've been really busy, Lisa, because you've had launches all over the place. Uh, yes, uh, we had a fantastic launch to um, in Sydney at the New Theatre in Newtown in Sydney to mark the 90th birthday. And this Wednesday, the 9th of November, we've got the Melbourne Book Launch at, at the Trade Hall, which is a fantastic place for it, um, at 6.30. And everyone's welcome to come along. And it's going to be a big community event. We've got lots of people bringing yarns and a few songs and lots of different stories about the new theatre to that event. Yeah, yeah, because it was a very, it was formative, wasn't it, this, the, the new theatre was like uh, people, arrive, uh, when they, people came there, they felt like they'd finally met people of like mind. Absolutely, and indeed I've, I've dedicated the book to Norma Disha Hawkins, who turned 100 just last week, and she is um, she's been a new theater member since the 1940s, and she's actually one of the most politically and culturally active people I've ever met. So I needed to I needed to dedicate the book to her because that's the thing, isn't it? Uh, this was a space that really allowed women to work against the patriarchy, basically. Yeah, and we held these theatres together, whether they were directors, producers, performers, writers or designers. And the theatre um, was really, really supportive of women and families coming into the new theatre branches and working. And they had so much support, they were able to juggle paid and volunteer work in the, in the um, theatres. And um, it, it was in huge contrast to other gendered spaces in um, the theatrical spheres of the time. Thanks for talking to us about it. Oh, it's a fa- fabulous book. It's uh, The New Theatre, and it's uh, it's actually got a longer title. It's called New, New Theatre, The People, Plays and Politics Behind Australia's Radical Theatre. And, of course, you're going to be there on November the 9th on uh, Wednesday, 6 at uh, 6.30 at uh, Trades Hall. Yes, and it's published by Intervention, yeah. a not-for-profit publisher. Yeah, and, yeah, um, people should remember that. Intervention's fantastic. Yes. Thank you, Annie. No worries. Nam Melbourne Slut Walk is once again taking to the streets in the fight against victim-blaming and slut-shaming. In the past year, we have seen how deeply still rape culture is ingrained in our highest institutions, from the media to federal government. This cannot be tolerated. To take a stand, join the 2022 Slut Walk at 1pm on the 19th of November outside the Victorian State Library. Slut Walk is a 3CR supporter.
A weak solidarity, Bricky team listener, when let's start with this week's inadvertently underpaid workers report. The overwhelming difficulties traversing the labyrinth that is awards and conditions highlighted yet again as salt, sugar and fat contributed to public health, dominoes how to market rubbish and Melbourne Uni inadvertently underpaid workers, albeit by as little as millions and millions of dollars. Week after week, we learn how difficult it is for caring employers to get their pay systems correct, forcing the poor employers to repay millions and millions, showing how greedy and avaricious are workers and evil unions when a bit of sympathy for their bosses would not go astray. They've been paid. Okay, okay, a little less, well, more than a little less than they should have been paid, but look to the future, not the past. Sympathy that would not go astray, unlike the millions they're owed. Why, if they had been inadvertently overpaid, would the caring employer ask them to pay it back? Of course not. Well, probably not, because we've not had an example to test it. The the difficulties pay departments encounter obviously force them to underpay 100%, overpay 0%, and the new Socialist Party Caring Business Class Relations Bill will do nothing to make caring employers' lives better, let me tell you. Although, I don't have to tell you. The caring employers themselves have explained with their renowned logic that a bill the government claims will contribute to higher wages and improved conditions will in fact make workers worse off and indeed will cost jobs and destroy the fine balance of the delicate flower that is the economy. The Productivity Commission, a neutral expert on these matters, warned that multi-employer bargaining achieved much lower productivity than single-employer bargaining in which caring employers and lazy avaricious workers sit down as equals and reach a win-win agreement. And we all know that, one, productivity is the secret to solving the problem of slow wages growth, and two, we have proof, we have seen over many years, how single-employer bargaining has done so much to improve workers' lives. The win-win the employing class eulogises. Apart from failing to improve wages and conditions, which shows how workers are just not being productive enough. Sadly, that commie long-haired breakaway evil union, the retail and fast food workers evil union, wants to make things even worse for workers, criticising the relaxation of the boot, better off overall test in the bill claiming it will allow caring employers to exploit workers, showing how removed from reality is this evil union, as, as if caring employers would exploit workers. According to out-of-control union boss, Unlike good real bosses, evil boss, Josh Cullinan, the wording of the legislation means caring employers could make their future workforces worse off, leading to, how's this for nonsense, rotten deals. Millions of low-paid workers will have billions of dollars stripped from them. A classic case of class envy where there is no class other than in the minds of people like Josh Cullinan. Thankfully, he was put in his place by one of the great minds and weak that was favourite, true blue Aussie industry profits group Supremo Innes will cost the workers, who accused him of jumping at shadows. The bill sensibly proposes that the con mission's application of the boot would be focused on working arrangements. Approval of agreements should not be delayed by concerns over entirely hypothetical scenarios. 
doesn't Innes talk sense? And if Innes agrees the legislation allowing some workers to be worse off under the better off overall test is a positive non-hypothetical scenario not jumping at shadows and an out-of-control evil union boss disagrees, we know who to trust. And I apologise for referring to the employing class, which could suggest there are class differences in our classless society. Sorry, Innes. On a positive front, the government has already indicated it could amend the dangerous legislation to appease caring employers' concerns. And we know we can look forward to a highly intelligent debate, exemplified by comments from Senator Jackie Lumpen. Give more power to unions? Seriously? Seriously, a worry. Jackie Lumpen, working class woman, former train killer cannon fodder who deifies train killing and trained killers, abraded by unions having more power. A deep comprehension of the issues. So we look forward to an intelligent academic debate. It's distressing how evil unions continue to paint caring employers as exploiters, despite caring employers constantly telling us their sole raison d'etre is to create jobs and provide incomes for dear little families and increase wages if only they could solve the problem of slow wages growth. And then if there is a little profit at the end of it, so be it. Yet that Josh Cullen and again, as an ethical fashion report by a dear baby Jesus church showed but one in ten clothing brands pay a living wage, obviously indicating those workers are not productive enough, all they have to do is pull their fingers out, that Josh Cullen complained about fashion retailers requiring workers to buy and wear current fashions at their own expense, which, wait for this, he claimed was unlawful. This wage theft is costing low-paid workers millions of dollars. It's scandalous, he raved. What scandalous, Josh, is you're interfering in a win-win relationship between those caring employers and their workers they so care about. And the employers explained buying the latest product as a uniform is only encouraged. Oh, so, so if they don't, then they are free not to. It's up to them if they want to keep their job. See, freedom of choice. And Apple became so sick of workers rejecting their generous offer, workers who wanted the world like a meaningful pay rise and at least one weekend off ever so occasionally, it decided to bypass the union and hold a vote of its workers whom it too so cares about. And what do you know? Showing why Apple has so opposed and fought against workers joining a union, they bloody well voted against their caring employer and held strikes, led on once again by this Josh Cullinan, who described this disrespect for Apple as a massive victory, and then, oh dear, then said strike action is the most simple and best way they can impact on management. Criminal strikes. Sadly, therefore, for the time being, she'll not be Apple's. Emphasising again how threatening this caring business class relations bill is, a couple of recent editorials in the totally unbiased, objective, True Blue Aussie Capitalist Review headlined, Workplace Bill is Captured by the Past, IR Agenda Going Backwards on Productivity, Pay, and on another matter, another headline, Winding Back the Stage 3 Cax Cuts, A Backward Step.
showing how dangerous would be a wage rise for lazy Aborigines workers and how progressive would be putting more wealth into the pockets of the not lazy, not Aborigines, indeed altruistic, filthiest rich of the filthy rich. See common sense, balance, win-win yet again. One capitalist review journal wrote a think piece arguing lower taxes for the filthy rich would mean they would no longer avoid paying tax. A major admission on one hand, but also hands up anyone who thinks lowering taxes would mean the filthy rich would actually pay some. Told you it was a think piece. Speaking of the proud profession of train killing, good to see us giving any enemy of the US, of the UN, of the US, of the world a few extra targets to nuke as we add US of nuclear bombers to the Marines, send in the Marines, marauding our north to our long-term target Pine Gap. Four Corners Monday told us how we are being kept safe as the US of, and therefore Trouble Wazzy, prepare for train killing. War games just everywhere, and I was impressed by shots of, of US of and Trouble Wazzy train killers preparing to defend us by rampaging through bush with huge tanks bulldozing trees. Obviously, flora collateral damage. And we were encouraged by the news that Pine Gap is expanding rapidly, preparing for the train killing that is peace. Train killing to keep us safe. Encouraging to note the difference with the Socialist Government as Minister for Being Offensive and Train Killing Richard Duffer replaces Caring Business Class Minister for Constable Peter Malls the Bad Guys. Or uh, is that... Uh, oh, sorry, never mind. The big difference is one still has some hair and the other one doesn't. In common, they seem to spend a lot of time scratching an itch as they itch to go to. I'm old enough to recall when hair was a musical, rock musical as they called it, about flowers in your hair, peace, love, anti-train killing, and one hit wonder Scott McKenzie. If you go into San Francisco, be sure to wear some flowers in your hair. Now, thanks to the trillions of dollars keeping us safe, be sure to wear a flat jacket. This is hard to believe, listener. Well, because it can't possibly be true, but one commentator on the ABC this week said the special relationship the US of and True Blue Aussie boast is based on True Blue Aussie doing whatever the US of orders us to do. What, what an insult to the independence of Peter Mulls, the bad guys, or Richard, uh, or whatever their name is, and big supremo Anthony Albing Uzi, who, no, peace relies on true blue Aussie providing nuclear targets to protect the U.S. of and enrich the U.S. of merchants of death industry. The U.S. of urged Brazilians to respect the ballot box and accept Lula, the long-haired commie elected, even though the losers know he didn't really win. Leave undermining the new government to us, they assured them. Confirming the sensitivity with which our, oh, sorry, police, police our indigenous people, the Western Trublawazi forces of law and order, Supremo declared indigenous schoolboy Cassius Turvey had been in the, you know, like, wrong place at the wrong, like, you know, time. So obviously his murderer, sorry, alleged murderer, there must be a possibility he bashed himself to death, his alleged murderer was in the right place at the, you know, like, right time. All this while ongoing coroner's inquiry in Northern Troubadour illustrates the cultural and racist, sorry, sorry, racial awareness of the constabulary. 
Occasionally, some events do generate long-needed, long-overdue change, and the response to this tragedy across the country may hopefully. The second rung of health advisors, public health officials, have warned we face another wave of COVID infections with yet another strain. But good news, governments will act on the advice of the first rung of health advisors, the sundry chambers of profits, who assure us if we burn our masks, do not isolate or stay at home if we catch COVID, go to work no matter how unwell we feel, go shopping and spend, 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 their economic health will thrive. Although they do warn the dead that they should not go to work. Oh, and second-rung medical officials, public health officials, what would they know, don't provide daily update reports which could undo our faith in the above sensible health advice. Finally, with all these worries making life so miserable for the filthiest rich, delightful to see them, it warms our hearts to see them enjoying a little bit of respite in the corporate marquees at Flemington, enjoying a little bit of fine food and wine and spirits, brackets free, unlike the overpriced crap for the plebs watching on in the common outer, who also have to pay to get in, a little respite behind the flood levy so kindly approved by a previous socialist government minister called Hulls, this one either going or not going to water, while other plebs upstream and downstream wallow in the mud. Good morning. 3CR Community Radio, giving the voice to community since 1976. Yes, and you're with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast and uh, on your 3CR. And we've got Maddox Gifford in the in the studio. That's, that's exciting in itself, Maddox. <laughs> yeah, and, I do much better in person. Yeah. Nice well, to see a face. Yeah, and, and we've, we're going to talk to you about the um, uh, uh, counter-conference, the uh, counter-conference for IMAC and why it's important for people uh, to stand up and fight back when it comes to extractivist industries. I mean, we saw IMAC here uh, in Melbourne uh, several times where people uh, stood the ground and last time it was actually quite violent. Yes, it did get quite... Uh, they, they weren't expecting uh, a proper blockade, that's for sure. Uh, in previous years, it had been uh, quite a small demonstration, I think, you know, uh, 30, 50 people, maybe 100, um, and, and nothing like the tactics that um, we tried to put into place in 2019. Um, I, I, was, I was present at the 2019 protest and uh, I can say for sure that um, once we actually started accomplishing something, once uh, we were actually disrupting, um, yeah, the response to that was quite violent and quite, quite brutal. Yeah, yeah. And what we're talking about is we're representatives of over 800 mining companies from all over the world, including companies like BHP, Whitehaven and Shell, are meeting together to uh, sort of plot out their uh, future in um, destroying the planet, really, isn't it? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. You get um, a massive conference hall, you pack it full of suits, and they uh, just sort of get get down to the brass tacks of carving up the pie. Uh, they, they, they negotiate, they decide where exactly they want to go next, they decide um, how, how they're going to sell it, essentially. They, they decide... They decide a lot of things there, so that's why it's really important to disrupt it. So what's ha- been happening in Sydney? Um, so obviously I'm not in Sydney right now. Uh, I'm in I'm in Nam. Uh, but uh, from, from my understanding, um, there has been a group of activists, a, a small group, um, 
Uh, but a group of activists have met up um, outside the front of, of the convention centre. There are, I think, 30 activists and something like 600 uh, cops uh, there. They're, they're, they've definitely prepared, prepared uh, this year. Um, but, yeah, mostly they've just been um, talking and, and they've been working, working towards uh, the future. They're, they're trying to build build something for the future because if iMark does stay in Sydney, in so-called Sydney, um, for the for the foreseeable future, then we are going to need those connections there on the ground. And that's what we've been doing as well here. We've been trying to make those connections uh, with activists down there. It's up there. It's uh, quite it's quite difficult um, in Sydney, uh, especially uh, with the new protest laws in place. Uh, and that definitely seems to be one contributor for why they've moved the conference there. Yeah, okay. Um, but it's also interesting about Sydney. It always strikes me. Strikes me. What is Sydney's real name then? Um, I don't actually. I don't no. actually know. I'm from. Uh, I'm from just up the way, actually, uh, in Newcastle. Uh, so that's Awabakal and Warramai land. Uh, to be honest, I never spent that much time in Sydney. Uh, in my experience, um, a, lo- a lot of the people there are are quite. Quite hostile, quite quite rich. Uh, it, it's it's the kind of area where um, I, I think it makes sense that they're holding IMARC there uh, now because that is where um, where that those kinds of people flock. Uh, it, it's a very yeah, it, it's it's it, it's important to, to to get people there because there's not there's not the biggest grassroots movement there right now, and that's what we're trying to build. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the thing about uh, Sydney is its terrain is difficult too. One of the things about Melbourne is that it's flattish. And it's possible to, but uh, and with all the new tunnels that uh, they've got, it make, breaks it all up into these almost like um, Bhutans, really, isn't it? Yeah, it's definitely a unique experience. Um, a unique experience being in Sydney. I was there somewhat recently um, on, on a bit of a road trip, and uh, it's I don't know. They've they've got their work cut out cut, cut out for them for sure. But I'm really hopeful about um, the conversations that are being had and and the connections that are being made. Can you tell me about the um, movement that has targeted IMAC uh, and why it's so important that uh, that is a focus? So essentially, this is the biggest mining conference in the world. Uh, and an average of, I think in 2019, the uh, expectation was roughly 7,000 uh, people in attendance um, and uh, dozens, dozens of uh, mining corporations, including the biggest in the world, uh, including BHP, Oceana Gold, Exxon Shell, um, Rio Tinto, although they've had less of a presence this year, apparently, I think they're uh, tucking their tails between their legs a little bit after the Jukun Gorge incident. Um, but yeah, it's it's honestly our, our biggest chance to, to get all these people in, in, in one space. Um, I mean... The the reason they're coming together is so is so that they can hold those conversations and like like we said earlier, being in person is is that there's just a different uh, ability to to communicate. Um, so this is where they're well, really put a it's face, all, put a face. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like they've they've got they're packing these rooms, they're packing these conference halls uh, full of people, and uh, they've got apparently um, many more stalls. Uh, I think forty percent more. Um, area there now so it is it is increasing in size they're 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 just sitting there like like a leech and and just bloating and bloating and 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 you just can't allow that to go um unprotested or 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 unacknowledged at least it you, you can't you can't just sit there and, and, and allow it to take place. So even though this year um, we haven't been able to put together um, a proper blockade, a, a really big protest, um, the likes of 2019, which was um, which had such a harsh police response, um, 
it's just really important to have a presence. Um, and that's what I'm really grateful and really glad that um, crew uh, up in up in so-called Sydney are doing. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so too because it's interesting because, to me because uh, there's this uh, sort of ongoing um, greenwashing going on in the public sphere, but behind the scenes it's like business as usual. And at the same time as IMARC is going on in Sydney, actually they've just opened COP27 in Egypt which is a fascinating sort of uh, correlation, isn't it? Um, business as usual. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's – it feels quite obvious to me. Maybe, maybe it isn't to everyone, um, but I think it very much is bare minimum lip service. And, and, and I think that they know that we know. That's That's been my impression for, for quite some time. I think that these companies, these corporations, they're, they're well aware that, that people aren't actually buying buying into the propaganda, into the greenwashing I you see it, you you see these ads. There's um I think it's a BHP ad. Uh, they've got inspira- inspirational music going. I'm thinking of one in particular. They've got all these young workers in in outfits and and all the all the coal trucks going by, and they're making it like this big sort of um, community thing. They're, they're they're really trying to sell trying to sell that community aspect and 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 trying to claim that we need them for the future. We need them for future re- renewables and sustainables. And it's it's. It, it, it feels quite um, quite obvious to me uh, w- w- what they're trying to do, but uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if they think they're pulling it off, but I, I'm here to say that we well, see right through it. Well, on two, in 2019, I was there. I wasn't there on the day that there was the big ambush, basically, but um, <clears throat> I had to work, <laughs> which was funny because uh, I missed that. But I, did, I was there for the other days and uh, I was covering it. And there was a, a, a middle-aged man, white man, came uh, uh, barreling down the stairs and he, he did this quotable quote. He said, oh, you s- stupid people, something I'm paraphrasing, you stupid people, you don't, don't you realise that we need these people for our future? You know, like you're j- that you're just adipated, <laughs> that you haven't got any idea about reality, which is reality. a bizarre, yeah, yeah, which is a bizarre, um, I mean, because... I mean, he was—he genuinely believed that. It was quite clear that he believed that uh, extractivism, uh, the uh, role of science in saving the day when it comes to a destruction environment, uh, was uh, that was the reality, wow. and that the reality of the demonstrators was uh, just hippie nonsense. <sighs> Fascinating. I guess some people are taken in. I mean, I can't. I can't necessarily blame them. These companies sink so much money into PR, in, into trying to sell sell that narrative, and that narrative is absolutely now shifting towards greenwashing narrative. It's it's they, they've realised that they can't get away for very much longer with with the old school. Um, we'll take what we want and and we'll do what we like um, attitude. And so what they're doing now is they're reshaping. They're shifting. They're shifting um, the narrative that they present uh, to the rest of the world. But as you said indoors i mean there's there's slight lip service sure but it very much is business as usual we'll claim we'll claim to 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 be trying to move forward to a better future but that it doesn't mean anything uh when they say that it it very much the second that interferes with profit margins the second that interferes with exponential growth right out the window and uh, yesterday was the last day of imax sydney uh and the process needs to build. You, you're aiming for build, uh, building the movement. So what's the next step? Uh, the next step, uh, honestly, is talking to people, is talking to activists. It's it's engaging with um, 
different different groups and 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 really just trying to raise awareness and get the information out there. Um, there are in, within the Blockade IMARC Alliance, there are um, dozens of, of, of different uh, groups that, that just work together um, and, and try and make something happen. So it, it absolutely is. Um, if you're part of any group that would be interested, um, reach out. There's there's a website. There's um, We are on social media. Um, there's, there's yeah, there, there's there's ways to get in touch and there's ways for everyone to help. Uh, if, you, if you don't want to, you know, be on the ground and, Get a, get a limb broken by by a police force, which did happen in 2019 to a, a young Chilean activist. Uh, if if that's not where where your skill set lies, then that's absolutely fine. You can help in other ways. You can there's there's always something to do. So really, what we want is for people to expand their skill set and and bring what skills they have to the table and just do what we can. Like any ideas, please. Well, you know, uh, one of the most impressive things about the uh, uh, 2019 was the uh, the fact that uh, elders from uh, place, parts of Australia, uh, so-called Australia, have uh, came. They they came with uh, to voice uh, their um, horror, really, at their uh, ancestral lands being devastated by mining, and um, it was so moving actually that they yeah. came. And also they were moved by the fact that there were people there standing with them uh, calling for change. Those are absolutely the um, the most important connections to make. The people who are most impacted, the people on the front lines uh, in that way. And I, I was there on that uh, that first day, the day before the actual protest uh kicked off uh, and there were some lovely ceremonies, there were some lovely conversations, there was um, just so much... Um, Joy, I guess. Um, there's 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 a lot of uh, misery and 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 sort of uh, uh, depression and existential angst around around uh, climate activism in, in 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 particular because of how wide ranging and devastating it is and and how how we all know exactly where it's going to lead. But there's there's still joy in that moment. There's there's um, there's that ability to connect to other people and and that hope. I guess you you can't really lose that. If you lose that, what are you fighting for? Mm. Thanks, Maddox. Is there anything else you want to to say? Um, oh, I guess I just want to um, thank everyone who's who's put time and effort into into these um, these protests. Everyone who's who's even just thought about it and talked about it um, to people because this is um, this is about you. Uh, it's it's the grassroots activism is really what matters right now. Um, and I also uh, would like to um, give a shout out. Um, to LASNET, um, who, the Latin America uh, Solidarity Network, uh, who were really uh, involved in the counter conference, who who brought speakers over, uh, particularly from uh, Chile, uh, where where there's people being brutalized and, and intimidated by police um, for, for mining every day. Uh, so I really want to thank thank them. You can see uh, live streams of the counter conference on their Facebook page. I think uh, there's a lot of really amazing information in there, much more than I can get across in a short interview. Um, yeah, and I just wanna um I wanna say um stay strong to everyone who's who's impacted uh, on those front lines and just thank you so much for everyone putting their time and, and effort into this because it is important. Thanks, Medic. Thank you. She was born in Majesty, pure self pressed against her skin. 
Golden jewelry her adornment, faultless beauty from within. But he was born but into poverty, desperation in his eyes, surrounded by a loving family. Tending to his every cry, all they ever wanted was to be by each other's side. With their family's blessing, to which they were denied. To which they were. Calls when he first met her, how her smile lit up his heart. He dreamt of them together, not knowing they were soon to part. For he would give her roses. Those roses were blue, just like when he first saw her. She walked in the room, but all they ever wanted was to be by each other's side. With their families' blessing. Beneath the sacred gum tree, they lay to rest, both side by side. All they ever wanted was to be by each other's side, with their family's blessings, to which they were.
You're with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast and we're coming to the end of the show. We've just been speaking to Maddox Gifford from Blockade, Blockade IMAX and uh, there's a couple of announcements before we finish the program. Um, we There's uh, uh, going to be a um, Solidarity Festival on next weekend uh, starting on Friday, Saturday and Sunday from the 10th to the 8th. Um, the uh, Friday it starts at uh, five pm, and Saturday and Sunday it uh, runs from ten am to eight. But you don't have to go to all the sessions. It's a massive solidarity festival, and it's going to be on in Coburg. It's uh, Sydney Road one forty four to one forty six. 144 to 146 Sydney Road. Um, it's a solidarity festival. It's all about uh, how to take action, how to work together. And uh, Food Not Bombs is going to be providing the food. So it's a full-on uh, affair. If you want to find out more about Blockade IMAC, they're going to uh, go to their website. They're going to have podcasts of uh, highlights of the uh, uh Counter conference, counter IMAC conference for your predilection. Uh, later today at 2 pm on uh, the steps of uh, State Library is a uh, No One Left Behind Permanent Visas for Refugees rally. That's 2 pm State Library. It was interesting when I was coming in from, I find everything interesting. I have to stop using that. Uh, term. It's so interesting. But anyway, uh, when I was coming in on the bike, uh, there's some sort of roadworks going on over Princess Bridge. So if you're travelling that way, um, you probably want to uh, go another way. <laughs> the trams were moving through, but um, it's pretty interesting to have uh, roadworks on Princess Bridge going up to uh, Flinders Street. But anyway, there you go. Um, that's it for Solidarity Breakfast this morning. Uh, we uh, found out about electric cars. There's an event tomorrow at uh, Bandura High School about uh, a group uh, uh, buy, buy of um, electric cars, how you can invest in a future that decarbonises transport. Uh, it starts at, at 10 and goes to 2. Uh, Anthony Kelly from Mel's talk, talk to us about uh, the creeping use of um, preemptive and uh, creepy police intimidative uh, uh, methodologies to undermine activism across uh, different states in Australia. Lisa Milner told us about uh, a great new book called uh, New Theatre about radical theatre in Australia being published by Interventions and it's going to have its launch in Melbourne, NAM, 9th of November, that's Wednesday, 3.30pm to at, uh, uh, at uh, Victoria, uh, Victoria Trades Hall. It's a big night. It's going to be a, a big community winding um, and this is the week that was and then we heard, out, heard about uh, what happened in Sydney with the IMAC Counter Conference. Um, coming up next is Asia Pacific Currents and we will go out with The Sweet Life by Catherine Tracos. I wanna love her, but I don't want the trouble. Want a cigarette, but don't want the cancer. I wanna be a good girl by being naughty. I benefit to work and not by only being lazy. I wanna party, but I don't wanna tidy. I 
I don't wanna have a job. I just want the money. I wanna be a pirate and go sail across the seas on ship of such proportions it would terrorize your dream. Nobody knows how the world will turn. Whether you're gonna fall in love or gonna be burned. No one can help you, but a good piece of advice says, "Do what you want. Don't smoke too much." Sticking to a precise plan, I wanna win, but I don't ever wanna fight. I want a sweet life. No one can say which way the world is gonna spin. Whether they like me, move in a crowd, we'll never tell the truth. No one can help you, but a good piece of advice is do what makes you happy. Do what makes you happy. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.